All right, today we are, uh, we have a special guest, uh, Coach Damian Johnson from North St. Paul joins us today. Really excited to have Damian on the podcast. So Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. It's getting warm out here now, so it's uh, kind of getting a little stir crazy with our, I know you got girls, I got a couple girls, and it's getting a little crazy. They want to get outside and run around and uh, um, trying to keep them indoors and say, no, we can't go to park today. It's, get, it's getting tough. How about you? Um. Sometimes I just let them go outside and lock them out there. I mean, the back, we got a big backyard. They, they get to jump on a trampoline, and I'm so sick of watching Frozen 2 that anytime they want to get a chance to go outside, we're going. The next That's step, not- I'm going to tell them that Anna's the bad guy in the movie, actually. So, Hey, you know what? That uh, Frozen 2 is not bad. Uh, we, we went to the theaters for that one. So, anyways, no one's listening to us this to hear about Frozen 2 reviews. But, uh, you know, the first question I usually ask is, what's your coaching Wikipedia page? Now, you actually have a Wikipedia page from your playing career. But just uh, save the people an internet search. Take us through your background, where you played high school, college, after college, and then uh, your path to North St. Paul. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm from Louisiana. I was – I was at Tupelo High. I was we won to the state championship my senior year of high school. Uh, we set a record each year actually for most wins in school history, and our school was a pretty good school. We known for football. We got a lot of athletes in our in our area. We were a very small town, and from there I got to play AU and Coach Molinari found me and brought me up here to Minnesota. And it was you know I wanted to get away from home, uh, just get a new experience. Uh, I felt like being from a small town, Louisiana, you don't get to see much outside the, the Gulf Coast region or definitely where I was from. So just getting to see the Midwest and I came here on a visit, fell in love with Minnesota and now got a chance to play at the U of M for four years. Had a, had some pretty good coaches and Coach Smith and that staff. Learned a lot from them. And from there, I got an opportunity to, um, to play overseas in Japan. I actually played uh, NBA Summer League with Miami Heat, and that was a great opportunity. I got to learn so much from uh, Coach, actually Coach Fisdale was my was a Summer League coach, and Coach Bolster was at the practice, and just being around those guys, seeing how they run, run practices, how how intense everything is, you know, and those guys are big on, on taking care of your bodies. They used to, you know, one of the rules was we couldn't, wear the same shirt during practice throughout the whole practice. We had to switch. They had a whole bunch of Miami Heat just cut off shirts that we had switched throughout practice. He wanted us because they, you know, sweat, they total sweat would make your body think your, the temp, your temperature is actually cooler than it actually is. So they wanted to just keep you away from dehydration. They did a lot of, it was just a lot of cool stuff that I picked up during that time, which actually made me want to get interested in coaching and stuff. Just being around those guys, like, Eric Spolcher is a coach I really respect just the way he conducts himself and the way he teaches everything. So that was big for me. And after that, I got a chance to play in Japan where I had a great year, but I was there actually when they had the tsunami there. So I was worried about being stuck in Japan my first year overseas, but it was just a fun experience. I was in a small town where no one spoke English. So I was, you know, I used to have to use Google Translate to communicate when I go to stores. It took forever for me to just have a, a normal conversation with guys. And I started picking up some of the some some of the language with my teammates, even though most of the stuff they taught me was naughty words according to those guys. But <laughs> it was just fun just being able to pick up go to a different culture and pick up just new things, see a new way of life. And like that year in Japan before the earthquake was one of my funniest years of just playing basketball because it was just it felt like everything was brand new. It was just the way they played there and just the co- way the styles of different styles of coaching and just being around so many DFT players from somewhere else where you feel like you every and each team had five Americans. So you just get to play against a lot of guys that you kind of saw on TV playing at other schools and you, you wanted to compete against them while you were in college and you get a chance to do it after. That was pretty cool. Then from there, I played in the G League with the Springfield Armor got a chance to pick up some great stuff there. And and that's when I really figured out that I'm, the next step was coaching. I took a year and a half off from basketball after that. Um, I just, I wanted to kind of, I had a, my wife had our first kid and I wanted to have a chance to spend time with family. So that's when I started coaching uh, travel league basketball with Arno, with the Arno program. 
I was sixth grade travel ball for your first coaching experiences. It's a lot. <laughs> like those kids, man, it's just some of the stuff you were trying to teach those kids and just being able to keep their focus for five minutes. I felt like that that's made me a much better coach than anything, just figuring out new ways to keep those kids engaged. And, and for some reason, I wanted to teach them how to, you know, just the little things. So we worked on a lot of stuff they thought were, was boring. But by the end of the year, we really got better. And just seeing those kids start to win a lot more and feeling like they were a high-level team just gave me a lot of energy. That's, it just made me want to just keep getting into coaching and help out. So, you know, two years later, I moved to Eden Prairie after, um, uh, you know, after I was done with my set out, you know, I was, I was still, I went back to playing overseas in Australia. I got a, I won my first championship ever that year with uh, Mount Gambia Pioneers is in the Steeple League. And coach Richard Hill, he was, he's probably the best coach I ever had. He really taught me how to run practice, practices. Like I see everybody talking about short-sided games all the time. I had no clue what it was. Got to Australia, that's pretty much all our practices were. were. And we had enough, we had 15 guys but we always was doing a lot of three-on-three, four-on-four stuff where he was working on different different angles, different uh, actions. Like, we, we've learned so – I learned so much. Many of – like, our whole team basically learned our offense while I was doing five-on-five at practice for the first month. Like, we, we are walk-through plays here and there, but we were guarding so many actions, playing four-on-four and three-on-three, that it just became natural. And we were one of the best offenses in the, um, in the whole league. And that kind of that kind of geared me to be what I want. Like now, I've reached a point where I feel like I'm comfortable with leading our practices similar to that. And that's when I got in with him, and then I went from him to Coach Plum, who ran. He conducts his practice very similar, where we do a lot of breakdown stuff. And it was like this. This made me realize this is what coaching is all about, and it kind of gave me a, a new perspective on what how to run stuff and just how to do everything with coaches. So I coached at EP with Coach Flum for uh, three years, I think, two years. Yeah, from 2014, we went to state one year and we lost in the section finals Drake's freshman year. And, like, just being around those guys, those kids, I knew this year was going was coming soon for those kids just from their work ethic as freshmen. Those kids wanted to be in the gym before school. Uh, I was working a corporate job part. I was working a corporate job at the same time, so I needed to be at work at eight thirty. But Austin Andrews would text me every morning, come open the gym at like six thirty, going to gym. Let's get a workout before school, even though he had practice. That day. it was just so much fun working with those kids. They had a, such a great work that, day. and like coaching with those guys, learning from Coach Flum, ended up helping me out a lot because what he was doing is so similar to what Coach Hill was doing that. It kind of helped me transition to learning how to teach kids how to play their game the right way. And then from there, I was just – my wife told me to just, you know, test out the interview process for high school coaching and just BS and put your, you know, put your resume out there. I wasn't actually looking for a head coaching job, so I applied to Eastridge and, and I applied to North St. Paul just wondering what the interview process was going to be like. And then I kind of – like I had – so throughout college, I saved a lot of just documents we used to get during summer workouts, saved playbooks. I had our training programs. So I kind of learned how to build a portfolio from that, and I kind of had a whole everything laid out during the interview, just how I would, I would want to run a youth program and everything. And then from there, I got a chance to interview with those guys. And I thought I did pretty well, but I was surprised that North St. Paul was just – you know, they were interested in I wasn't expecting to be a head coach that year. I had a lot of time I invested with with those guys in EP. I was ready for the going to make a run now sophomore year. Then I had a chance to watch some of uh, scout film from when uh, North St. Paul played Minnetonka, and I saw those guys. I was like, you know what, this team has a lot of natural talent. I got to get in with those guys. And I, I really enjoyed my first year coaching with those guys. So you obviously have a really unique background with playing professionally, both with, you know, like I said with the G league and with the NBA summer league playing overseas in Japan and Australia, and then coaching a sixth grade uh, traveling team in Orono, then getting on staff with one of the best high school coaches in the state at Eden Prairie. And so you've obviously had a chance to form your identity and some of your core values as a coach. So either as a program in North St. Paul or you as a coach, what are some of your core values or your identity that you want your teams to have? Uh, 
as far as our identity as a basketball team, I, I want everyone to watch our game and know we work. Like, I don't want anybody questioning how hard and how much we want it. And that's one thing that I really preach to our guys. We got to always work hard and be competitive. Effort effort is something that no one could take away from you. No matter how talented you are, you got to always you got to always play with effort. You know, if, if you got a bunch of guys that just crappy, they play hard, they're going to have a chance to compete with a talented team any day if their talented team doesn't work. And that's something that I really preach and kind of give them. And I like having it. Like, I always had a chip on my shoulder as a player, and I have an underdog mentality. And that's kind of why I like being at North St. Paul because that's what I kind of instill into those guys, too. Think like underdogs where no matter if everything against you, you're going to fight your way out. And that could work in the classroom. That could work just in everyday life. You always want to you always want to work like everything is against you and you're trying to claw your way out of a situation. And I want those guys to have that mentality of, like their backs always against the wall and they're going to they're trying to fight their way out because we got a lot like our school our demographics change from where we got a lot of kids on free and reduced lunch and sometimes they might feel like underdogs naturally so it just kind of fits their personality to go with it and that's kind of you know one of our core values is you know we want to make sure we try to overachieve instead of under and we want to make sure we're doing more than less and um you know, this year, our first try, we had a lot of guys, that, and that's something that we really focus on academics, and a lot of guys had their best tries as, stu as student athletes as far as grade-wise, and I want to see that improvement, but sometimes we have that drop-off during the season, and that's kind of what we're pushing where guys starting to buy into the education side because they're all starting to see more kids that we getting coming from North getting opportunities to pass high school, and a lot of those kids are starting to value our education and that's something that that I really want to stick with keep continue throughout the program where education can always trump everything and we gotta continue to start to to help each other and you know a lot of kids they respond better to peer to to peers than adults. Definitely at this stage where you value what your peers think and if you setting the tone for for yourself, your other peers gonna follow. And I think a lot of kids improve as just in general with their whole mindset and it's kind of we, we slowly progressing as a school where a lot of more people are starting to value going to class instead of being late and, and chilling in the hallways just having conversations and stuff instead of focusing on doing what you got to do that's I and mean, that's the important stuff right i mean winning basketball games winning sections are great i mean we're all competitive uh you play basketball at a, at a really high level uh, many different stops, but when you're making those lifelong connections, that's huge, and that's what high school athletics is about. And so that's really that's really cool that you're you're taking care of business with those guys, and you're building those connections and relationships. Um, but how do you balance that relationship with discipline with your guys? Um, and that's something that's that's kind of tough as a young coach when you first started, and and that's something I didn't. My first year, I was actually tougher on the guys than I've been lately and i haven't been too lenient but i just i knew those kids were all seniors they were hungry and it kind of helped out a lot where i'm you know i'm tough on you i'm gonna I'm be hard on you but one thing i let all my kids know is i love you and i care about you so no matter how tough i am on you and you're gonna have to if you you know you're gonna have to do some stuff you're not gonna like definitely if you're not following following what's, what we need to do to to help each other help each other you know I think everybody should have a goal where it's not about what you're going to do, it's about what we all going to do as a team. And they got to follow off the court too. So if you got one brother that's, if you're not helping your brothers out when they fall, when they have issues off the court, then we all do. And I don't make the team, I'm not going to make the team run for one kid doing something wrong. But we all going to at least encourage him to take this serious and run hard. Like, you know, we'll have the clap ups on the sideline or anything. Like I know running is something that's, we shouldn't have to do for discipline as coaches, but at the same time, I feel like it does. It accomplishes both. It's still conditioning and helping kids out, and it just gives you somewhere. It it kind of could deter you from doing something you don't. Nobody wants to run. I mean, I know every time I try to run with my team, I die halfway through. Halfway through it, any of the sprints, so I could barely make a suicide now. So, yeah, I'm not. I don't. I'm not big on conditioning during practice. But I want you to if you if you can't do what's right, you still gonna have to do it. And after I'm gonna give you love. I'm not even most times, you know, I've had kids that I lost 
because they didn't weren't getting the amount of playing time that they wanted, so they might have quit. But and they kind of walk through the hallways, kind of nervous to see me. And I always go, I always say something funny to them just to mess with them, just to let them know it's all love. I want you to do what's best for you. And if there's any help you need, I'm gonna be there. But at the same time, you don't have to like you don't have to worry about how I'm gonna feel about it after. I'm always be there to give you love, and that's one thing all my players. I just had a player today calling me. He's going through the recruiting process, a former player. And, you know, like, he's a, one of the things he said that made me, like, I just brought a smile to my face. It's like, man, you really one of the things that, that one of the best things to happen, you being you being able to coach me just because I know you're not going to say nothing for your own interest. You sincerely care. And that's what I want all my players to know is I don't care if we lose, but I just, I'm going to care about what's going to happen for your future, man. I just love being around my players just to let them know that like you're getting love no matter what you get outside of the team you're always going to be getting love from me no matter what you're going through you always got me to talk to and that's something I like I talk to my players like we have a lot of one-on-one time and it's just gonna be random times definitely with me in the building and during lunch time I have a one-on-one conversation with a kid sometimes the kids think I'm busting or going in but we just really talking and just having a normal convo if we just deep in the convo like I love being in the school with my players. Just I get it. I love being around. So you've had some of the best coaches in the world uh, from USA, Japan, Australia. What are some things that you guys are looking to do when you get into the offense on, on the offensive side of the ball in early offense, uh, starting with transition? Uh, so transition, we we got a couple series we like to run. We got we got the forty series, which is a four out one in, where we want our big man run running, and. Usually we kind of we could flow into a couple of different things. We could go straight into a drag screen, which is something like. Or when I was playing in Australia, I played a lot of as a trail, and undersized so a lot of, a lot of times as an undersized four man, and we ran a lot of pick and pop drag screens, right out of uh, transition, which would open up a lot. It creates that that doubles that double gap. If you set it, you know, if you set it um, right at the slot area and we pop, we just kind of play off that. We don't even – and a lot we go – we do the same thing out of five out, but we like to clear – empty out the corner. So we try to empty out the side and run a lot of the drag offense. And then we also flow in the motion strong where we run both of them out of the – out of a four-out one-in where we, you know, we reverse it, set the stagger away. And a stagger away, a lot of time, it's just false action just to, to occupy the help. You know, we're trying to – we got a lot of guys that are good at creating one-on-one, and they and they real explosive get into the room. And, you know, so we try to occupy the help just so we can kind of create the one-on-one ISO opportunities. But also we got shooters that the help, if they don't trail the screen, that's a, it's a, it's a bucket going in. We had a good kid, a kid, Shaheed Muhammad, where – that's something we focus on getting him some screens, some uh, shots off staggers. Well, we get him going, get him hot. He had, and he was a big time shooter off a of catch and shoot. So we've kind of focused on either setting early ball screens or kind of going flowing into some stagger action. And and sometimes we uh, and like this year we're doing a lot of the pistol action, kind of similar to what D'Antoni ran with Phoenix, where we kind of pitch it ahead. We look for the handoff. Sometimes we fake the handoff back, and, and we just play out of that. So in your 40 series, do you have set uh, five guy, four guy? Or are those guys interchangeable? So, like, if your five gets the rebound, is he trailing and the four is rim running? Or is that five guy still trying to get to the rim even if he gets a rebound? Uh, I want five rim running every time. Because um, we really got – like, our team, we're, we're a short team. We play a lot of guys 6'3 and under. So – our format is probably sometimes 5'11 at times, but it's a guy that he jumps out the gym. But I like him taking out as another ball handler in case somebody pressures on the re- even on the rebound, where sometimes teams like to jam the outlet. So I always want somebody, you know, kind of trailing in case we need to throw it back to somebody or anything. And also, I like him just in the pick and, the pick and pop screen in action because he sometimes we'll clear that side out and he'll pick and pop empty the side, but we're already empty the side off, so he has a one-on-one going straight to his right hand. So it creates more advantages, and I and most of our post players aren't as good handling. So we, I like him. I like our post rim run, and that's one of the things we kind of do for conditioning, where we have rim running 
uh, where we have a mad ball, where we have somebody tossing on a mad ball like they're pitching to the head, and he's running from room to room, full court for a minute, just trying to work on staying in shape and just being able to beat his man up and down the court. So uh, your 50 series, you talked about the empty side pick and roll. So where are you looking to set that pick and roll? Are you looking to go below free throw line, at free throw line, just above the free throw line? What's your ideal location for that? Uh, probably a little bit low, below free throw line. Um, we like to set it there uh, sometimes because we, if we run 50, we, got, we call it 50 fist. It's a double drag where we'll set both guys there. And um, the first guy, he'll set a he'll set the screen, kind of pop for a second, but he just pop in the set of flare screen for the second guys uh, that set it. And then once the, uh, once he set the pick and pop, he'll he once he uh, set the flare, he'll slip. We'll look for him on a slip, or we have somebody. We have the second guy with another ISO. So it's it's different ways to ISO guys out. And then um, also we we just want him deeper because if he clears the guy out. Now he can attack baseline if he's below free. I like, I like him attacking baseline. And that's kind of one of the things we look to get a lot when we set outside ball screens. We refuse it. Like, my, my thing, you got three choices. Anytime you use the screen, you can either refuse it, use it, or I call it abuse it, which is when you curl. Because when you curl, most times that means the guy's trailing you. So you, putting them, you could put them in jail by keeping them on your back. So that's your chance to abuse them and give your chance, give your guys an easy look. So we like to set curls even on flares. We'll curl for a lob if your guys trailing. So you either could use it, refuse it, or abuse it. And I like when guys refuse it and take your baseline and attack the rim. So your point guard coming off that ball screen, are you are they in a, are they looking to score? Is that their first look? Are they looking to uh, hit the roll guy? What's what are their what are their reads uh, when they're coming off that ball screen in your fifty series or even in your forty uh, with the Drake screen? Um, this year when we had when we had Shah, Shahid Muhammad, he was our he was our leading scorer. He got conference he was conference MVP, and anytime he's using it, I want him to be aggressive. If he could get a shot right away. Take take the shot. As soon as you see the advantage, just attack. And, and once you make attack, make a read from there. Because in the forties, the pick and pop, we had we wanted that. We wanted that guy. We always wanted to uh, look back at that guy if Shahid can attack and get to the rim. Like we look throw it back quick because that just get the defense moving from side to side a little bit. And it's gonna give our I like our guy Laron. He was quick. He had a quick first step. So. We even might clear that corner guy out even in the Florida series, or we might run that corner guy up to set a quick on ball for him. So his reads was usually attack or in in forty is either attack or hit the popper. And in fifty is either attack, hit the first guy. Well, we actually in fifty we don't even want him we don't want him to shoot unless the guy goes under. And Shahid can shoot behind the screen. So if he's attacks the uh, first two, he I want him to use the first two. Hit the look for the guy popping first, then look for the flare and slip next, and then if nothing's there, reverse it to the second side. We're going five out. So that that brings me to the next question. When you're in your fifty series and you got the side ball screen, you don't have anything. Are you keeping your weak side guys spaced? Or are they looking to flare pin together? Or are they just kind of reading the defense? Or is there a set action you want from them? In fifty series, we usually set a. Actually, we usually set staggers at the same time we're setting them. If it's a single ball screen, we set a stagger. If it's a uh, if it's the double ball screen, we set a flare with the weak side corner. So that way we can still occupy the help at the same time. And usually with the staggers, we might even, we call it Celtic action, where if you're coming off a stagger, we just want you to tight curl the first one just to get that second guy coming off. And we usually put this, we, we might put our, best shooter as the, uh, the first guy setting the screen so you can come off the, after he set, the, uh, he set the screen. We curl tight, kind of get his man out the way and get him to come off, get a, get a shot that way, kind of, you know, because in high school, most kids off a stagger, they're mind off the first person coming off. Once the guy curls, he usually takes two with him. Anytime a kid curls in high school, he's usually going to take two guys with him because it's just high school kids haven't been – a lot of them, even with good coaching, it's just a natural instinct. They're still learning the game compared to where the guys, now you have heard it from a good coach in high school, college, and pros. Those guys are more likely to be able to understand what the team's trying to do. But in high school, kids not thinking the game as much 
And so when you set flare screens and, and run curl action, most of the time you're going to have a kid over help for it. And that's it's kind of the thing with high school. A lot of kids here, the coach want help. So they're more likely to over help when you got a lot of screening, off ball screening action. So. How do you drill in small? I mean, you're a big small sided games guy, like you mentioned, uh, short sided games, as you, like you mentioned. How are you drilling your 50 and 40 series or even your motion strong in your uh, small sided stuff? Um, a lot of times we, we just, like for 40 series, we just, eliminate, we just take the big man out of it. You know, we could run, we could work on it with our four, just playing four and four, and we just run into act different actions and kind of swing it around. We've worked on running out strong stuff with the staggers. Uh, sometimes we do, uh, we might do five on four where we're working on everything and we already got the advantage and we, then we might add the fifth guy in later or we might do the same thing four and three where we the advantage there and we got 10 seconds to try to create off the advantage and we add a guy in. And, uh, and we do a lot of stuff where we just kind of, we for even for breakdowns we kind of drilling we do more while we running um kind of working on our stuff and breakdowns with three on no or two on no but then we are adding we'll start adding in like one defender or two defenders where we they're still learning but we still creating an advantage form at the same time so they can read the advantage on their own so to, i want to go and talk more about your motion strong so uh i'm pretty familiar with the action are you guys getting right into a stagger off of it or are you reversing it and then get into your stagger screen uh, so in 50 series, we get it right into to the stack. So our guard will dribble it up and we don't, we call it, uh, we call our, we call it, we got a name for it. They go get the guy, we, they dribble it up. They go get the guy in the corner because with Shahid, he was able to beat this guy off the dribble. So we, in 50 series, we look and get right into the stack just to create their, their one-on-one their one -on -one advantage with Shahid. Or we might even, at the same time, we'll dribble right into it and, the guy's going to set the staggers, but Shahid's going to dribble handoff at the same time. Well, he's going to dribble handoff. As soon as the guy's coming off the staggers, the time is almost perfect. Or the guy's coming off the handoff, we, we usually have a lefty on our right side and a righty on our left side. So they come in, they attack in the middle to, with their strong hand. So it's one of our best players. Uh, he was a sophomore, uh, Sean West Zimple. He's coming in a full head of steam downhill to, with his left hand while the helps guarding stagger so we'll do that out of 50 and also we got 50 swing where we'll we, it's kind of like motion strong where we reverse it where so we swing it we set a uh we swing it to the trail this we set a down screen with our with our guy in the corner so, uh, out the five out we set a down screen and then we get a little movement to start it off then we go set the stagger away right after and that kind of so we end up getting a lot of – we get a lot of points just running 50 swing just because we got a shooter coming out the corner of the first down screen. Then we got a stagger action happening away right after. And either they – like a lot of times kids might be trailing, we get a bucket out the curl, or we might just be able to catch it and be able to, be able to attack without the help and to kind of help us keep flowing. But off the, when we do it out of 40, we just flow into it off a reversal. So 50, we kind of get, do um, our point guard could keep it or he goes, he goes swing it and we have a down screen action to flow into it. But in 40, we kind of just go straight out the reverse and get into it. So uh, team switches the stagger screen. What do you, what's your guys' adjustment to that? Anytime a team switch you, and that's what we call it, that's our, you know, we call the first, if you curl the first one, it's a Celtic cut. And this, in the second one, it's a hard Celtic. If you got, to, if they switch, you tight, you continue curling. You get your, get your man out there and see. And the, we usually like it depends who, on who set the second. If it's a big man setting the second screen, we gonna go get, we gonna go set a down screen for the next guy. But if it's a guard setting the second screen in a stagger, we'll flare them out. So now, if even if they switch, we are gonna have that second action that should open something up. And we do – we kind of try to get a lot of that going. And I think this year, like, because JV games, you know, I'm big on – I can't help myself coaching. Like, I can't just sit in the stands and watch a game. So, I'm big with just uh, kind of being involved with our JV where the JV coach is taking – he's coaching everything, but I might give him – he likes when I experiment on the board with those guys and draw stuff up where we can use for maybe varsity. And – of like just watching those guys kind of run a lot of stuff, it kind of gave me more 
access, more access to add on with everything. So anytime they switch out, we figure if you switch out on the stack and you got a good shooter up top, they're not going to be prepared for the flare next because they might be out of position on the first switch. So we take, we curl, we curl the second guy out and we always look if it's a guard up top, flare him out. See what we get out there because either the slip gonna be open or the flare gonna be open because now you had to guard different two different screening actions in one series. So Taka, or how's your team's pace? Are you, you guys play pretty fast, right? Yeah, we press a lot, which helps us speed up other teams, which makes us be able to run a lot. So we play pretty fast. Uh, your press. So what are some of your philosophies within your press? Are some of your non-negotiables or places that you're looking to turn teams over? Well, it depends on we, – we do a lot of – so we'll switch back and forth between diamond and running jump. Running jump, our main thing is don't don't leave your man unless unless uh, unless you can't – unless the ball handler can't see you. So if he's dribbling towards the sideline, if he's looking at you and you go, you kill with this because they're going to throw it just right back to your man. So unless you – if you see the eyes of the ball handler, you don't leave your man. If your man leaves half court before, if you, your man's taking it out and he leaves half court, that's an automatic trap every time. Everybody, if you're not guarding the ball, if you're two passes away, I want to, usually I want the guys two passes away to split the difference between because you know you know we're coming with a trap. You know we're gonna rotate soon, so kind of split the difference between your man and the next guy, the next guy up, so you can be ready to make that big rotation, or you can just stay there even if they got a trap. You could be able to guard both, and um, but you can't get beat sideline. And our and our we call it money. Our running jump. If you're in diamond, in diamond, we want to we want them to reverse it back to the uh, guy taking it out. We don't want them to make any pass up the court. So you cannot allow any any pass, any penetrating pass. And that's the part I thought. I think that's kind of one of our toughest parts to teach. Because for some reason, those guys want to run back to the guy inbounding. But by mid-year, we really perfected it because we just it just became a habit because we started practicing it. We started working on it at practice where we'll play full court where you got a trap. We're just working on the trap. And we'll play like three on two. So now when you reverse it, you get the guy got to, the guy whoever could take in the middle, he's got to run back to the guy uh, with the ball. So we'll set a trap. then. Once the trap's over, we'll drop one of the guys, one of the trappers, and then we're going back to three on two. And we're just going to work on full court and just try to try to work on being able to uh, play against the advantage. And then once they cross half court, the guy that was out in the first trap, he can sprint back in. Because we're trying to work on in case they do beat us and we got to play three on two, we got to be able to cover it. And then we got to work on recovering. So we let the guy back in. After once the ball crossed back uh, half court, he'll stand by a coach and the coach let him go. So it kind of helps everything out. And then, and then the guys, it helped, it kind of helped our, our ability to play fast where we, we done, we got so many reps just from pressing to each other three on two, doing our little three on two drill where it, it's kind of, it came, became a habit. So the guys were able to play fast. Where do you find that you're getting the most of your turnovers in your run and jump or forcing the most turnovers? Um, I think once it cross half actually, because once usually teams are breaking out, running, jumping, dribbling right across half and kind of in the sideline area, so we are able to get one more trap. And now the court is condensed once it cross half, so you don't have too many options. I think we get a lot more steals once the ball cross half compared to when we run diamond. We get a lot of steals in the backcourt because a lot of teams see that middle guy and our guy kind of baits it where he's not really sprinting straight to take away the middle, but he's kind of slow, but he's ready. To, he sees it, so he's ready to go, kind of burst to it. And we get a lot of steals that way when we go diamond full court. One thing when we played you guys last summer, I think it was down at Stillwater right at the end of the summer, uh, we played you guys down there. And one thing that I was so impressed with, and then I noticed this as well, you guys played Maple Grove before us uh, at St. Cloud State this past winter. One thing I've been so impressed with watching your teams is how your defensive, how your players on defense, their feet never stop moving. They're constantly moving. And what are some ways that you teach that? Um, we work on some defensive footwork stuff. Um, like some game, and it's not, you know, it's a mindset because they know it's not about winning. It's about how we look, like not how we look, but just how we perform. And I, I want defensively, we, we never take a night off on defense. And at times we do, we have a couple errors, 
but I feel like our offense caused those caused those errors because transition defense is always the hardest defense you can play. And we work on a lot of footwork drills where we're working on sliding for, you know, we might do shuffles for a minute. We might do kind of quick quick feet for like 30 seconds. We got to like, it's a, it's, we call it a five-minute defense ranger where we got, we go from shuffles a minute. We work, we do somewhere. We kind of work on being in help, well, kind of quick feet. Then you sprint out to close out on the shooter. We do that for like a good 45 seconds. We kind of just work on that where it becomes habits. And then we kind of always we, – we do a lot of stuff at practice where those guys playing down at times where they, we might put them down 15 with, with like two, three minutes to go. You got to play catch-up basketball where you got to be able to be able to move nonstop and be able to just run around, fly around a lot more because you're down. You got to do whatever you can to win. And, and you know, it's usually the loser got a penalty, so there's, it's going to be more incentivized at practice for them to work harder to get that W. So, like, a lot of stuff, this guy's just – it just became habit because a lot of – I mean, it's hard to break some of the bad habits guys get throughout the offseason. I mean, you play open gym, you're not having to coach just on you all the time about defensive stuff, and that's kind of the mindset I want those guys to get once a season that I want you just focusing on locking up. And, I, I mean, and one thing that those guys understand is, man, we are short. Like, I've never seen so many under six, four kids ever, you know, like my high school, we were giants there. Like, I was like maybe the third or fourth tallest player. And like, our, in my first year here, we were all pretty much, our team was pretty much six, three to six, seven. And now we're lucky to get a six, four guy. So like, y'all got to know we're already at a disadvantage every game, no matter who we play. So you got to always have, you got to use, what's to your advantage and that's our speed and quickness. So let's do whatever we can. We can't, we never could, you know, let's keep your feet moving at all times. That's what we preach. So I apologize to any coach that I'm missing on this, but I think you're probably the only coach in the state who was all, uh, all big 10 defensive team. And so you must have some uh, tips or some tricks from your playing days that you're able to share with your guys. Uh, no, I, I mean, I try to use as much as I can, you know, one thing that's kind of, uh, one defensive principle that we that we kind of use is know the scouting report and force guys to their weekends. Like even if you give up the middle, it's not we we kind of when we go man we kind of could do a, we kind of hybrid a gap and deny defense at times. So even if we allow someone middle, we know we're gonna have the help there. But if we forcing them to their left and we allow them middle, we're more likely to get a steal. And that's something that you know playing with Al. I always force guys to the weekend, so it's easy for me to come come by and get a you know kind of get a back tip or anything, and and that's stuff we focus on. I always also focus on them understanding swiping the difference between swiping up and swiping down. I got a lot of steals from guys just holding the ball kind of casual, and I'm just swiping up, and they're not paying attention. The quick you know, and they're not ready for it. So like kind of when you swipe up, just a quick one. You kind of want to fill them out, and I kind of explained how to kind of read their belly when you're going for the trying to get a quick steal. Like we do a lot of stuff where we got we were, I, I play one on one with the guys and kind of just show them stuff I do defensively. Then I let them guard me, and it, it's kind of it's been helping them out a lot where they kind of understand how to score against taller guys because I'm still I, I got probably about a year and a half before I turn into patch old Patrick Ewing with my knees. But I still can block shots, so I'm just I'm, – I'm at practice, I kind of work on teaching them different ways to finish against taller guys because we're in a section with trees like Ben Carson and guys like that. But I also teach my big guys kind of how to time – you want to – like one of the things I did well when blocking shots to time them is I try not to leave the floor to their first foot touch the ground. So you know when guys uh, – like any time a guy shoot a one-leg layup, I know I'm going to have a chance to put it on the glass because they open their body up. So you don't leave the floor till you see their body open up and their first leg leave the ground, and you, and you can usually time it pretty good. And we had a guy this year that kind of took – finally took that advice. I've been telling him this for two years, and he finally started trying, and he's seen how easy it was to block shots. He's a 5'11 guy, so people are not even expecting him to block it anyway, but he has like a 40-inch vertical. 
And I just told them, watch, just don't leave the ground till you see their left foot on the right side. You see their left foot, they take this last step. You know where it's going. You know they're about to pull up. And and he's he got a lot of a lot of uh, highlight blocks just from putting stuff on the glass. So when you guys are going to or defending screens, are you switching, fighting, or a hybrid of both? And then how do you teach defending screens? Um, it depends on the lineup. We so we it, we have a lineup where we switch everything, and and that kind of I feel I, we don't want to just do soft switches. We call them aggressive switches, and we kind of almost set it up where it looks like we're icing the screen. We really just switch the screen. We just jump in high side, trying to force them back away from the help. And then also we we also like to fire. If we have a quicker lineup, we will fire your ball screens where we trap. We're, we're going to trap a ball screen. Definitely if we play against a team that has weaker ball handlers, we're trapping every ball screen and just make – it's harder for a high school kid to make a make a decision unless they're elite point guards. Like, you know, when the trap comes, I've seen guys that are really good point guards where they're still going to make that mistake here and there because it's just hard to time it every time because a lot of teams don't trap ball screens. So when, they, when teams go against teams that do, they're not comfortable going against them. Because they're not practicing it, and they're not doing it at practice, and they're not, they're not uh, just seeing it very often. So we like to trap and fire ball screens, and also when teams do it against us, we kind of it's the same thing. So it's something that we really believe in. Either we gonna either go, we gonna call it aggressive ice, or we gonna go fire. When you guys trap ball screens, do you have a set person who's taking on the roll guy, or do you just is it just depend on uh, the angle and where the ball screen is taking place? Uh, it depends on the – we want the uh, closest guy. The guy that's purges uh, – if your man's a purges away, we want you to take that role, guy. So, sometimes we do it from a uh, weak side. It's often the weak side, bottom guy. But at the same time, we may – like, sometimes if they got a guy in that corner that's a non-shooter, we'll tell the uh, strong side guy to uh, drop and help us also to take – you know, just discourage that quick roll pass. So, so you mentioned it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you got it. So you mentioned in our uh, messaging back and forth that you uh, are good at game plan, right? That's one of your strengths. And you mentioned a little bit uh, from your playing days when you know what a guy, what a guy's weak hand is, and you can talk about talk about that in your scouting report. So what are some ways that you uh, set up your game plans, and what do those plans look like going into a Tuesday or a Friday or a Saturday game? Uh, I just think um, as like I like to over prepare. Like, I watched a lot of film and do a lot of breakdown. I remember during sections, I didn't know who we were going to play. So I just sat down and watched games from everybody and just kind of, like, I, I focus on tendencies more than anything. Um, as a player in college, you know, that's when I first was introduced to watching film. The one thing I knew that would keep me to stand out above everybody else is I'm long and athletic where I could play defense. So I want to know what my guy is going to do beforehand. So I do a lot of studying guys' tendencies where I kind of break it down on the board before the game as much as possible where you know most kids won't read a scouting report, but you kind of – we do pop quizzes sometimes just, you know, just to see see where they're at, see if they, see if they know what those guys are doing. I even might have them tell me what to write on the board about what those guys are going to do. So I think we try to prepare them as much as possible as far as knowing winning individual matchups, as far as, uh, like, you know, teams for, as far as game plan against teams, we like to also, like, if, we could, if you take away one thing from a team, it usually causes teams to crumble or cause teams to, it's, if you're not playing a team with a good coaching staff, it's hard for those guys to make adjustments. I mean, we won a lot of games where I thought the teams had more talent than us. And they definitely had more height, but we won a lot of those. We won some of those games just off us, you know, kind of being able to take one thing away that they do well. And and that's kind of uh, one of the things that we, we try to focus on. Like we – certain teams – like that Maple Grove team was good that we beat in uh, St. Cloud. And we were down pretty bad because they were – you know, they had guys that could create. They we, But once we kind of took away – like we started focusing on using our speed and taking away their better ball handlers. Now they're trying to figure out they had to make an adjustment. It was kind of kind of gave us an advantage, and I think that's something that we focus on doing. With my first year here, like Tartan had Antoine Kimmins, and he was man, he the kid had 
36 one game against us and 38. So during those sections, you know, we wanted to focus on taking him away and see what their next guy is going to do. So we, we kind of were able to take him away. I think he only finished with like eight or nine, and it kind of just changed the game with us. It was like we, we play – we have different game plans for each game. We don't go into each game. And I know it's kind of risky, but our team, I think our guys are able to handle it. It, it works for the, for the most part. So when you go into a game, what kind of adjustments do you, have, do you have ready for your team, or are you just more focusing on things you can take away on your opponents? I'm focused more on stuff I can take away from them, and I'm, I kind of let our stuff, you know. I want our guys should be able to know what we're going to do. Like, we should know how definitely by the end of the year, beginning of the season, I like our guys trying to, you know, kind of trying to figure out ourselves, kind of kind of figure out our own identity, how, you know, what we got. Because, like, this year we had a lot of guys go down and we had to play a lot of JV guys early. We were playing top teams in the state. I was, you know, I, I made a tough schedule. I didn't think we would have so many guys get injured. And I, I wanted to kind of go against what we – I kind of like looking at the early part of the year is what we need to do to get to those guys' level. And so I'm, I, we've played some pretty tough teams. So once we, once I got a chance to figure us out, by by the time we get to the same – we got to St. Cloud, we kind of knew what we want to do. Now it's about just trying to figure out what we could take away from everybody else and just improving on what we're doing. Like we have a coach just focused on us. Coach uh, Aaron Robinson, he was a former go for himself. He uh, He's just focused on what we're doing wrong, what we need to improve on, while we have some of our other coaches kind of taking stack, stats of what we're doing that's not a, not part of our program. Like we got a stat called one in jacks. That's if we make one pass and just jack up a shot while we need ball movement. <laughs> so we got like we got stats like that. Or we got uh, we got uh, another thing we keep track of is like like um, we call it. I think we call it give up stats, or we call it. Uh, I don't. I can't remember what we call it this year. We changed the name actually, but it's basically where. You didn't cross half court getting back on defense. You didn't um, – or you had a chance to go get a rebound and you just gave up. You just stopped, gave up because somebody bumped you. Like, we want the toughness part to be involved too. Like, we look at small stuff like that because those little plays are, are pretty much the only way we could compete with some of those top teams just off us being – you know, a lot of those – it's tough playing the teams with height when you don't have height, but height doesn't know – if you could make adjustments where you're competing with them physically – and just outworking them, out thanking them, that gives you a chance at any given time. I've, we've, I've been part of teams that beat a lot of teams that were way more talented just from their heart part. And that's, that's something that's every, it's hard to teach, but once kids start feeling, feeling that, you know, kind of feeding off what you're doing, then it, it just follows through. So those listening, I'll do the research for you. Uh, Coach talked about their preseason schedule. This is their first few games, Creighton-Durham Hall, De La Salle, Spring Lake Park, Minnehaha Academy, Edina, and Eden Prairie. Then you guys rolled off 18 out of 19 wins in a row. So clearly what you're talking about is uh, resonating with your guys as uh, they must, they, they're clearly process-based and they're able to see that big picture and improve. And then they went on quite the run. Um, last thing here uh, from a uh, game planning side, uh, you mentioned it a little bit, but what, is, what do your scouting reports look like that your guys read? Um, we try we try to keep it minimum on kind of like one-liners, just one-page one-liners. And we usually do it the day before the game or sometimes the day of. Just I, read, I know they're not going to study it overnight, so we give them the day before. You might get a kid, just bring it home, just get rid of it, not even pay attention. So the day of the game, we'll give it to them. Sometimes I give it to them during the school day, probably after lunch or – I try to give it to them like right after school, just just so they can have it fresh in their mind. But we don't try. To, I try not to over. You know, I don't want to just kind of give them too much information. It's tough to consume a lot of information, so I try to keep it as minimal as possible. Just focus on players' tendencies more than anything. All right. So, last question: What advice would you give to a, a new head coach or a coach that's taking over a new program? Um. I think the the main thing is just have find the right style. You know, my my first year here, I had you know I had some pretty good coaches and and you know 
everything we all thought our program was doing well, but like the staff I have now, it just it's great. We got a lot of guys in the building, so that having kids, having staff members in the building, is probably the best thing you could have for your program. Definitely in high school because you could check in with the kids. The kids could you know you could see the kids' temperament throughout the day. Uh, the kids have any issues, they could come to you, kind of, kind of get feedback from you. Kind of, you know, you can help any situation out. And you want to have a good staff that's in the building or have a connection with those kids in middle school. We, our freshman coach, our freshman coach, he's a, a behavior specialist in the middle school. So he comes in, he's already got a relationship with most of those kids throughout middle school. Um, our, our sophomore coach, he's in the same middle school. And he's had, like, a lot of kids already have those relationships built in with them. So it's easier to kind of get to know those kids coming in. It's harder. To me, one of the hardest things as a high school coach is you you got so many kids in one program that you might not get to know each kid individually. So kind of getting information from other people that know those kids to kind of find ways to connect with those guys is kind of big. You know, I want to connect with all my kids, even through all my travel program. Like, so having as many people as possible, being able to be in the building, kind of connect, kind of give feedback about each player. You kind of know what they got going on personally. I think it's very helpful and it, it'll make everything so much easier. And also have some good people in your travel program because, I mean, your travel program is pretty much the future and it's pretty much, it's just pretty much the foundation of for everything you need. If you can get those guys going early, like, I heard Wazetta coach say he has 22 teams that's part of his travel program. I mean, it's no wonder why they're a team that's going to compete for state every year. I mean, having guys, good guys in your travel program changes things. And I like, I love what our guys did, our board has done to improve our travel program. We went from three teams my first year to we, now we are eight. I mean, we got teams almost, we got paid coaches finally. Like everything's going well. And, and my the sixth grade team that's currently the eighth grade team, they went from a C level team to now they're winning A level tournaments. And it's just from all the work the travel guys put in and just all the work they got to do during the summer with our guys. So I'm really proud of just the way the program's going. And I really love everything that's going on in North right, North right now. Coach, you've done a great job there. Uh, you've had a lot of success and you have a wide range of backgrounds. I think a lot of coaches can learn from it. There's a lot of really, really good nuggets today uh, that I was able to take and I will definitely try to install with my team. And I think for those that listen to this entire thing, they'll walk around with a lot of information. So coach, thanks for joining. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. I love a lot of these podcasts. I love hearing you pick those guys, pick other guys' brains. So I appreciate you doing this. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.